Welcome to Investing in Integrity. I'm Ross Overline, CEO and co-founder of Scholars of Finance, a rapidly growing organization on a mission to inspire character and integrity in the finance leaders of tomorrow. If you're an investor, finance professional, or student aspiring to make an impact with capital, this show is for you. Investing in Integrity brings you conversations with leading minds in finance to help you learn how you can make finance a force for good by investing in integrity. Today's episode of Investing in Integrity is another first. We are interviewing one of our own team members, Jody Holden. In July, Jody joined Scholars of Finance as our first chief growth officer and now leads fundraising, partnerships, and marketing across our organization. Jody brings more than 25 years of experience in research, sales, business development, and marketing to SOF. She has held director and managing director roles across top financial firms, including Citi, Bank of America, Bloomberg, and JMP Securities. She received her bachelor's degree from Columbia University and her master's degree at Carnegie Mellon. Most importantly, Jody exemplifies our values and is deeply passionate about our vision, our mission, and mentoring and lifting up the next generation of leaders. Jody is going to play a critical role in propelling scholars of finance into our next phase of growth and impact. Many of you will have a chance to meet her in the months ahead. We are so excited for you to get to know her a bit. Without further ado, I bring you Jody Holden. Jody Holden, it is such a pleasure to have you as our guest this week on the Investing in Integrity podcast. First of all, how are you? And can you share with our audience where you're calling in from? I am great. Thanks. It's a beautiful day here in old Greenwich, Connecticut. So I'm in a, in a great place right now and thrilled to be talking to you today. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. Having just joined our team here at Scholars of Finance, as our chief growth officer, I think there are a lot of people in our community, our students, professional members, the investors and executives and firms that support our efforts philanthropically, who want to learn about you and want to learn about your role as our chief growth officer. You are, of course, our first interview on the podcast with a member of the team. We'll be doing some more of these with Miranda, our chief program officer, Stephen, our chief operating officer. I'm excited to have you be the first one. You have spent more than 25 years in finance. Can you share with our audience just a brief overview of your background? And then what inspired you to make the jump to scholars of finance full time? Sure. Like you said, I've spent 25 plus years in more traditional financial services. Actually started out at the Fed in DC was my first job after college, which was great, but very academic and made me realize fairly quickly that that wasn't the path that I wanted to take. And I, I was lucky and met some people along the way who introduced me to the idea of equity research, which isn't always something you hear about right out of school. You hear a lot about trading and investment banking. And back when I graduated from college, consulting. and But somebody knew me, knew my style of work and what I like to do and introduced me to a, one of the number one ranked II analysts at the time who had switched career paths and was now managing a research department at Prudential. And she hired me to be her research associate. And that was the beginning of my journey. And she remains a great mentor and friend now, 25 years later. But from there, I moved into institutional sales, maybe five or six years into my career on Wall Street, because I, well, I loved research and it gave me a great 
foundation and I learned a lot about the industry and how to talk to clients and how to build models and how to analyze companies. I personally didn't like being focused on just one sector all the time and and speaking with really sort of just one group of clients. I liked the idea of having a broad view of the market and talking to all sorts of people. So I moved into an institutional sales role at what was Solomon Smith Barney, now City, in mid-2000 and really never left that role other than a couple of short forays into building out some independent research platforms but stayed there, stayed in institutional sales at Bank of America, and then ultimately seven years at JMP Securities. And then shifting to what brought me to scholars of finance, there's, you know, there's a number of things. Ross, you are a great advocate for the mission and the values and the organization. And you reached out to me, which was terrific. I love my career in finance. I love what I do. I still love my clients. I like reading about finance. But one thing I had always done both within my firm and on my own outside of my firm and on some education boards was be a mentor and do a lot with career development and mentorship in more recent years, particularly with women's professional development. And it's something I've always felt very strongly about, but never really found the way to combine my financial experience, my love of finance and the market with that aspect of my life. So I think Scholars of Finance came along at a great time when I was starting to think about what I might want to do next and maybe taking a step away from the traditional role. And the more I talked to you and the team and some of the board members and the advisors, I realized that it would just be a great way for me to share my experience and my network and what I know, but also learn so much from you all and the team and the organization about the mission and the values and just kind of combine the best of both worlds in my view. That's absolutely amazing. And I'm glad that we caught you at the right time. And you picked up that email that I sent. (laughs) Let's start with your role here at Scholars of Finance as our chief growth officer. You wear a lot of hats overseeing development, partnerships, and marketing. And as is the case with many nonprofits like us with a small startup team, there's a lot of hats that you wear. Can you share with our audience a little bit about what you're doing here at Scholars of Finance and your vision for your functions and for the organization? The nice thing about wearing a lot of hats is that that's what I've always done, even though I've been at bigger platforms, especially when you're in the institutional sales role, you're doing 10 different things in any given day and always busy, always shifting. So I love that aspect of what I'm doing now that I am wearing a lot of hats and I am working with the whole team, albeit a smaller one. So I like to think of myself as helping to grow and foster all aspects of SOF that can help us to support the mission, to reach out to more students, to grow, not for the sake of growth, but grow so that we can expand our reach and really share our mission with a broader audience and help to support the programs that are chief program officer and her team are putting together and, you know, help support you as you go out and meet more people. And hopefully I'll be doing that as well and bringing people in. But my job is to make sure we're here as long as we can possibly be here and that we get bigger and stronger every year, if not every day. Absolutely. The way I oftentimes think about it, which I know we've talked about is We are building a permanent, enduring institution that the world desperately needs. It was Chris Varelis, one of our alpha investors, used to run investment banking for all of North America. Citigroup was their global head of TMT. And over dinner one night, Chris said, Ross, 
It's no longer a question of whether or not scholars of finance will survive or not. It's a question of whether it will be big, huge, or gargantuan. <laughs> and I sort of laughed because it's pretty uh, grandiose language. I thought, and he goes, no, I'm serious. The world needs this. There is a, a gap. There is a missing component, a vacuum in the socioeconomic machine that scholars of finance is filling. And we all recognize that. We're, we're here to support it and make sure it sticks around forever. It's incredible having you join the team, Jody, because for a year or two years, it was, oh my gosh, I can't wait until the day when we can bring someone on to run growth. I and mean, to bring someone with your level of experience, your level of expertise was beyond our wildest dreams for this role. We're, we're so happy to have you here on the team. That said, I'll shift us. I would love to talk about your career a little bit more. Like many of our students, your career began as an analyst with a major financial services firm at Prudential, and then you moved over to Citigroup. Can you take us back to being an analyst and what that experience was like for you? Yeah, definitely. And what's interesting is, and I, I like this question I was talking to you before we got started, because I think when all of our students think of the word analyst, they think I'm going into a program in investment banking and I'm going to rotate around desks and I'm in an analyst position. My role as an analyst was actually working in the equity research department at Prudential, which is an analyst there is someone who's covering a specific sector and actually making buy, sell, hold calls and speaking to analysts and helping the buy side determine whether or not they want to own a stock, short a stock, avoid a stock, whatever it may be. So it was a pretty different role than the type of analyst role that I think most people think of, which was wonderful. Being in that role, I learned so much about the market. I learned so much about how to look at a company, how to talk to people, how to react quickly, how to sort of read between the lines. You hear me all the time talk about connecting the dots. It's something that I probably you know started learning there because you'd have to listen to what someone was saying and figure out what it meant in the bigger picture. And I'll tell you to this day, when someone asks me what kind of role they should take as a starter role in finance, I always say, if you get a chance to be in equity research, even if it's only for a year or two, it's a great starting ground. So for me, clearly it was a wonderful experience because I stayed in the business for however many years it was, but a little bit different than, like I said, what most people consider analysts to be, but I wouldn't have traded it for anything. It was great. That's absolutely amazing. And I appreciate you sharing. One of the major themes of your career in financial services was rising into the ranks of leadership very quickly and sustaining your leadership in finance, becoming a director at Citigroup, eventually a managing director at Bank of America, having held several senior leadership roles after that before scholars of finance. What do you think were some of the keys to your success? What really helped you advance your career? Right. I think there's a number of things, and I'm actually experiencing it again now being in this role and being new. I think a lot of it is, and maybe it's because I started out in research, but you know, really taking the time to understand whatever it may be, the product, the client, the organization, the deal, like taking time to do the research, to listen, you know, which is one thing I think, unfortunately, it happens not just younger people, but a lot of people in the finance world or in any world, they want to tell people what they think that person needs, as opposed to listening to, in my case, what a client actually needed and making sure you gave that to them. So I think a lot of it was just taking the time to really understand the business and to listen to my clients and to give them the best coverage that I could give them. 
And one thing that I learned early on, and this came from the woman who I said is still one of my mentors today too, is really the ability to say when you don't know something and to then go figure it out, but to not try to come up with some answer to a question that you don't know, because you can't really take those comments back. But if you just say to someone, oh, geez, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. I think clients, colleagues, teammates, whoever appreciate that rather than you just kind of wasting their time making up an answer. So I, you know, I think, again, it's just really taking the time to know every aspect of what you're doing and to listen to the people who you're working with and for and who are your clients. I think that's really salient advice. I will say in the first month and a half of working together here at Scholars of Finance, I've very, very rapidly grown to trust anything you say. There was trust at the onset, right? My leadership style is begin with trust. You have continued to rapidly grow trust. I think it is the research background that you started your career with. I've seen time and time again that like literally anything you say in team meetings, in work streams, project meetings, You've thought about it. You considered it. It's funny when you just mentioned telling someone, hey, let me get back to you on that. You said that to me a handful of times and you always follow through and it's incredibly thoughtful, diligent, detailed follow through. And so to any of our students listening, even early mid-career professionals, I just want to plus one that advice, like as a teammate to someone who does this, it makes for a very, very high trust working relationship, which I've been very grateful for, Jody. I'm incredibly grateful for I want to shift a bit, you know, from sort of your your career to high level into the functional expertise you built, sales and client relationships. A lot of your career was within institutional sales. First of all, can you break down for any of our listeners who aren't fully familiar with that, what institutional sales means in the context of financial services? Yeah, I mean, one thing I always start out with when you're talking about institutional sales specifically is that Sales really is a misnomer because it's really about relationship management when you're at that level. It's not a cold call. You're not necessarily selling a hard product. It's an idea. It's a relationship. It's an introduction. So, you know, to take it, uh, take a step back just to kind of explain a little bit more what it is, you've got the buy side and the sell side. The institutional sales piece is on the sell side. So my clients were your large mutual funds, your hedge funds, your long only funds. And what I used to sort of tell people was, you know, basically my client's not a person really, it's an institution. And I'm not marketing a hundred shares. I'm marketing a hundred million shares is kind of the difference between the two sort of levels. It doesn't mean that one's better than the other. It's just kind of the size, you know, and the idea too, is when you start these are firms who are already nine times out of 10, especially if you're at a big firm, like a city that are already clients of the firm. Your job is to make them a bigger client of the firm and to make it a stickier relationship and to make sure that they get access to anything that the firm has to offer, whether it's corporate access, you know, seeing company managements, deal flow, analysts, best stock ideas. It's definitely much more of a relationship. And I think what's nice about it, as I said before, it kind of ties into the research piece that in terms of the skills, there's so much you have to know because you have to be able to look at a model, look at an annual report, listen to a company management, and actually be able to communicate with a client and understand what they need, what the company needs, and what your firm needs. So I think that's probably one of my greatest strengths. I would say that that strength of yours has very immediately become apparent. It was Tony Paquette, 
one of our advisory board members, one of our alpha investors, the CFO of Point72, after you and Tony Paquette initially met. And I asked him, hey, what'd you think about Jody? He, he just was singing your praise. And I know you've met, you know, you've connected again since. You have an ongoing dialogue that's been growing. And now that you've met with 30 plus of our directors, our advisors, our donors, our major supporters and scholars of finance, every single one of them has reached out to me to say, wow, Jody's incredible. Can't wait to work with her. And so I think the relationships that you're building are very apparent. That sort of segues into another question I wanted to ask you. Can you share with the audience your perspective on the role of client relationships in finance, especially how you see client relationships and relationships relating to growth? Yeah, definitely. It's a two-way street. It's not just you telling the client what you think they want to hear, or even in our case, or are us going to a donor or a potential corporate partner and telling them why Scholars of Finance is so wonderful, and, and even though it is, and why our mission is so important, we need to also know what it is in them that will make our mission and our organization resonate with them and important to them. And that's how I took the approach with my clients, which I'm trying to carry over here as well, is just, you know, like I said, always listening and knowing people have different reasons for the way they like to do things or the way they like to receive information or the type of people that they want to listen to. Someone might love here top meeting with an analyst who loves to tell anecdotal stories. Someone else only wants to listen to an analyst and go through the numbers and their models. You have to figure that kind of thing out soon. And I'm, I'm hearing that already. As you said, I've had sort of a listening tour over the last you know month and a half or so. And you can see it already. There's different reasons why all of these amazing people are involved with scholars of finance. And listening to that, those reasons and keeping that in mind every time you interact with them is how we're going to keep these relationships strong and build these relationships and build new ones. Absolutely. One thing that I have found particularly interesting, exciting, and rewarding all at the same time is that we are developing relationships around a shared mission and a shared vision, right? Our vision of a future where all finance leaders steward the world's capital to serve the greater good. And the fact that all of our donors, all of these execs are committed to this mission to inspire character and integrity in the finance leaders of tomorrow it's incredibly rewarding. I think back to my early career and you built a lot of relationships because you have to, you have cross-functional stakeholders, there's sort of requirements, right? One thing I've really loved about Scholars of Finance is all these relationships we're building are completely optional and it is not transactional, right? It, there is not just some business transaction. It is that we are all coming together because we have a shared belief in helping the next generation act, invest, and lead with character, integrity, humility, compassion, courage, all these core values we talk about. So it's it's beautiful to build, I think, a community of relationships of people who are all in it for, you mentioned different reasons, but there's this sort of central unifying reason that goes beyond just capital and, and gains. You mentioned at the beginning of our call that you you really care about mentorship. You've been really involved in, in women's initiatives. Throughout your career, you've supported and mentored other women and made it a point to do so. What are some of your fondest memories or proudest accomplishments that have come through mentorship? You know, there's many. And I think I've talked about this one with you before, but I went, you know, my high school has a very active alumni network. And for years, 
I was on the um, alumni association board and I headed up the career advancement committee. And we had a similar type of network, a mentor network as the one that we're about to launch at Scholars of Finance, where it's, you know, students have specific interests and they seek out an alumni who might be in that industry or that position and have a, you know, could be a one-off conversation or could develop into a lifelong relationship. And there was, you know, at the time, young man who came to me in his sophomore year of college. And I think we talked on the phone and then he came and he met me at Bank of America and sort of shadowed me for a day. And I was sort of thinking to myself, wow, he's only a sophomore. He's kind of young to be really pursuing this kind of dialogue because usually it's kids who are coming out of college who want to have these sort of relationships. He proceeded to stay in touch with me, you know, he would, something would happen in the market and he would send me an email and ask me questions about what I thought or what it meant and not in an annoying way at all. And he ended up graduating from college, getting his, you know, what was a dream job in finance, sitting on the trading desk in a role. And very quickly, someone I think we probably want to work with at some point said to himself, this is not really what I want to be doing and has since created a, a nonprofit of his own that basically finds philanthropic opportunities for young people in finance and, and other industries. And he partners with corporates and helps them find junior board positions, things like that. But I don't stay in touch with him as much as I used to, but I still see him at you know alumni events. And we had an article written about us in the alumni magazine. And it's just, you know, it was great to see him grow up, achieve what he really, really wanted, but also have the wherewithal to say, you know what, this actually isn't what I really, really want and go do something about that. So that's probably one of the most rewarding. That's amazing. And yeah, definitely sounds like someone we might want to connect with. Absolutely. I want to ask another question. You mentioned this alumni network. Another network you recently just joined is Chief, which for any of our listeners who aren't familiar is, quote, the only organization specifically designed for the most powerful women executives to strengthen their leadership, magnify their influence, and pave the way to bring others with them, end quote. So like our student members of Scholars of Finance and now our professional members of Scholars of Finance, you're also a member of a community, a network of your peers. Why did you choose to join Chief? And how do you think that helps contribute to the long-term growth and success of Scholars of Finance? I'm making a big change now to actually go into a nonprofit and to take on this Chief growth role. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to network with women who are at my level, but in the career that I'm now in. And I also think for scholars of finance, it's a double benefit because I'm going to be exposed to all sorts of people who we can seek out advice and we can seek out relationships and resources. And I think it's going to be mutually beneficial all around. Because the other thing I want to do is continue to give back as far as being a mentor too and growing other people's networks. So I'm thrilled to give back to Chief as well. That's fantastic. With the launch of our new mentorship network, version six coming up um, with you on the platform, I'm sure you'll have ample opportunity and have a lot of mentorship requests coming your way from scholars of finance, but I'm sure from the chief community as well. I appreciate your perspective on the value that other circles, other communities bring. You know, as we've talked about, some of our listeners may know this. I was invited to join the Milken Institute as a member of the Young Leaders Circle, which is a group of of leaders under 40 that they have identified as high potential for leadership in finance and investing. 
was nominated by Chris Campbell, uh, like who's like an older brother to me, who we've done a lot of events with and we'll have on this podcast many, many times over the years and somehow got in and immediately found a community of people who want to make an impact in finance, who love the SOF mission and excited to, so excited for all the amazing women in chief that you're going to meet that can hopefully help us grow our impact, grow our mission and uh, help our students. With that said, I'm going to run into rap. I'm going to move into rapid fire really quickly because we only have a few minutes left. So we have a shorter episode today. First, what are one or two top books you would recommend for anybody listening to this podcast to try to be more successful in finance and in, in sales potentially? One that we just read was Amp It Up, which is by the CEO of Snowflake, which was great. I actually didn't expect to really like it, but he had some really interesting ideas. So I would say... Not so much for sales necessarily, purely, although he talks a lot about that, but just really how to go in and take the reins of a business. I think that was really helpful in that perspective. And, you know, the other thing I'm going to say, I actually find just really reading every resource you possibly can, you know, like whether it's the Bloomberg pieces that come out every morning and the McKinsey lists that you can get on and to get their articles and, Financial Times, all of those types of things are what help me formulate my approach to various aspects of my job. So I would say rather than one book, get as many resources as you can. I love it. It helps you stay current as well, right? And and be in the conversation. Let's get to know you on a more personal level. Uh, What was one of your favorite children's movies? Well, you know, I have so many because I think I basically am a big child. So I still love to see them all. And I was on the board of the New York International Children's Film Festival. It's a mouthful. So I love all of the Studio Ghibli movies, which are all the sort of Japanese, the Totoro and Ponyo and those wonderful movies. There's also a great movie that was at the festival called The Cat in Paris, which is about literally a cat that is sort of the associate of a cat burglar, which is great. And then being the mother of a baseball player, I'm going to say The Sandlot is just one of the best movies I think ever made. So whether you're a kid or an adult. I did not play baseball very long and do not have kids. I will plus one that The Sandlot was probably one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. <laughs> I was a big fan of Angels in the Outfield as well. I grew up on that one too. Yeah. Another another great baseball film. Last question, Jody. while we have you, for all of our listeners today, what words of encouragement would you offer to our community here at Scholars of Finance, as we go and make an impact on the world with capital, our students, how can we achieve this mission? One of the biggest, I would say it's not even just a word of encouragement, but sign of encouragement is the fact that this organization exists. Because I spent all these years in finance, I have had some of the best people and the worst people I know impacted by bad actors in the industry and by people kind of losing their way. And never was it ever suggested that perhaps we should be teaching our young professionals how to think and act with integrity. And so I think the fact that that is something that people are even thinking about now. And for me, one thing I've learned in just doing my research on SOF and in meeting the board and the advisors is how many people have that as an undercurrent in their not just their world outside of work, but in their work world. And you didn't used to hear about that in the workplace. So I think the sign of encouragement is to hang in there. Like even if you're frustrated, concerned, new to the business, just know that the tides are changing and 
people are realizing what is truly important and what types of approach that we should be taking, not just to the business, but to who we are as people, not just professionals. Fabulous. Thank you, Jody. I'm encouraged by the fact that Scholars of Finance exists too. For all of our listeners, thank you for helping make that possible. If you're an executive, a donor, a speaker, a mentor in our professional and executive network, thank you for all that you do for us. If you're a student listening, thank you for being the future, for being the next generation of finance leaders that have character and integrity. Jody, thank you so much for all of your incredible contributions and leadership as our new chief growth officer. Cannot wait for what lies ahead. Well, thanks, Ross. Thanks, Jody. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Investing in Integrity by Scholars of Finance. I want to share a huge thank you to our advisors, directors, donors, team, and our members who make this all possible. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any feedback for us, you can send it to hello at scholarsoffinance.org or by visiting our website. Until next time, please join us on our mission to inspire character and integrity in the finance leaders of tomorrow. Tomorrow.